Our sermon text today is from um, Luke chapter 24 again, continuing to read uh, this text of the disciples on the uh, road to Emmaus. Again, uh, just to remind you, um, uh, mentioning concepts mentioned in this book, Life Together in Christ, Experiencing Transformation in Community. And there are free copies of this book on the old uh, altar, or whatever you call these, altar, (laughs) uh, in the narthex. Hear the word of the Lord. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And they said to them, what are you, and he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place here in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe that, to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into glory? And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, I have heard and spoken many comments about one particular phenomenon in our culture today. This is not a very controversial one, but it's one that impacts us all. We wonder, what is going on with shipping in the world today? Whether it's hummus at your favorite grocery store or lumber or bathtubs or anything in between, we all wonder why is the shipping so messed up like it is right now? And more importantly, we ask the question, what's going to happen next? Now what's going to happen? And I use this simple example because it's just one perspective of many different huge changes, endless applications to this question that we might ask ourselves, what's going to happen now? Maybe you've been asking that question. I know I've been asking that question since the, the, since the beginning of the pandemic, really. What's going to happen now from the moments we first went to online worship, then when we were doing some small groups online and parking lot worship, constantly asking, what's going to happen now? We might ask that question in our country over the polarization and the fighting and the threats of war. What's going to happen now? Maybe in our world, again, threats of war in the big picture of the world, the pandemic, we wonder what's going to happen now. 
Even in the Olympics, there's boycotts and tensions. I don't even want to watch, honestly, because it's just a reminder of these things. Maybe in your home, you wonder what's going to happen now with no daycare or sickness or uh, one thing after another. In your relationships, hurts and stress, brokenness, loss of the people that are closest to us. What's going to happen now? In the church, this is one that I've thought about a lot. What on earth is going to happen now? See, the disciples on the Emmaus Road, they asked a lot of the same questions, but they didn't say it in the way that I'm proposing. They said it in a different way. They said, we had hoped. We had hoped that He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. So it was clear that the disciples were disappointed and were wondering what was going to happen now. Their hopes were high for this person, Jesus, that they had left everything to follow and to learn from and to become like. And they had expectations that Jesus was going to be this ruler-like Messiah King who would set things right, right before their eyes. They were going to be a part of it. But instead, they saw suffering, humiliation, torture, and of course, death. What's going to happen now? The disciples were longing to be freed from bondage to the Romans, freed from the bondage of society, longing to rise to the top of the class to see Christians, followers of Christ, be the ones who are in charge of everything and to no longer be the outcast or the reject, but to be the ones who had power and control. This was the hope of a ruler like Messiah King, which they had experienced and seen many times in the Old Testament. In fact, there's this portion of the Bible between the Old Testament and the New Testament, they call it Septuagint, it may not be in the Bible that you have, that tells stories that were not included in the canon of Scripture. And there are stories of people who would rise up and try and reclaim uh, the power that Israel felt was rightfully theirs. So the hopes for Jesus being this kind of Messiah, ruler, king were very high. They wanted to be freed from the bondage that they were experiencing. But their real bondage was this expectation that some outward change would set them free. Their real bondage was a limited perspective of God's power. They had hoped that Jesus would set them free without them having to look within themselves ever or do anything further than their initial commitment to Christ. To look at their own sin, their own unfaithfulness, their own willingness to continue to surrender. What the disciples really needed was a bigger vision of God's redeeming action. A bigger vision of Messiah that could transcend any situation throughout eternity. What was going to happen now? Well, Jesus was showing them what was going to happen now. He came to them, helped them to understand, empowered them, and renewed their faith right here in this text, all in one fell swoop. These disappointed disciples became the messengers of God's good news and of Jesus' redeeming action. And they became the embodiment of that message. As we continue to read later, we'll see and we'll discover together that these disciples who had left the group of disciples, they had said, what's going to happen now? Well, we're, we're out of here. We're going to go talk about it and figure it out, but we're, we're done with this. And they're talking about their disappointments and Jesus 
comes up to them and is hidden from them, maybe as a, a kind of a side lesson to say, I can come to you in any moment, in any circumstance. Are you going to be open to that? And he, he guides them in helping them to understand their disappointments and the depth of their disappointments. And he reveals himself to them and explains these texts that they had been wrestling with already. We know that they'd been wrestling with it because they, they say that themselves. When Jesus asks them the question, what things, what have you been talking about? He says, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. You see, just in this line alone, they're saying to Jesus, well, we thought He was the Messiah, but turns out He was just a prophet. Yeah, He did some cool things. Yeah, He, he said some interesting words. But in the end, the power is not there to be the Messiah. Uh, very in line with uh, what we read earlier in this text. that We, didn't, we haven't been covering this text. When, Mary, uh, when the two Marys come back and tell the rest of the apostles, which this group, these two would have been a part of, they come back and tell the apostles, the tomb was empty. And then we saw an angel. And he said that Jesus is risen. But this is what we read. But some of them did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Another translation, the NRSV, I appreciate this one. It says, they believed them to be idle tales. No power. No real change within the lives of the disciples. There was no felt power that these people could experience. So they are wrestling with this text and they say, but we had hoped that Jesus was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So these disciples had been wrestling with everything that they had seen and heard and experienced, but they could not move beyond what their experience had been and the fact that they had not seen Jesus themselves. What the disciples really needed was a bigger vision. So when they asked the question, what's going to happen now, they could understand that Jesus had broken the bondage. That Jesus had made a way for us to live by the power of the Holy Spirit that could set us free from sin and fear and shame and guilt in any circumstance that we find ourselves in, any time. But this opportunity wouldn't have come if those disciples didn't continue to walk together to seek understanding. And to learn to trust Jesus again. See, we have many reasons to ask the question, what's going to happen now? I bet if I asked you, what's your version of that question, you could give me a whole list of questions like that. And there are no easy answers. If I stood up here and told you easy answers, I would say, you shouldn't trust me. <laughs> if I said, well, just wait till this happens and this and whatever, and then things will get better. In fact, you would just spot that as a lie right on its face because your experience tells you otherwise. That doesn't feel like it's going to get that much better anytime soon. But the truth is, we can't change, nor have we ever been able to change, and maybe this is the gift of the pandemic, is to bring us face-to-face -face with the reality that we can't change any outward action. Period. I can't convince Deb to do anything. <laughs> Maybe I could try and convince you, guilt you into it perhaps. You know? 
<laughs> make you feel sorry for me or something like that. But I can't change you, Deb. I can't change Larry. I can't change anybody. In fact, if I'm honest with myself, I can't even change myself because I am, I am held captive to my own sinful nature and I need Jesus to set me free. What I've discovered is there are no easy answers in times of wandering, wilderness times, times of darkness where we're not sure what's going to happen. But it's also times like these when God renews our faith through our willingness to surrender to Him. To say, Jesus, my life is Yours. I don't know how to get through this day. I don't know how to get through this week. I don't know how to handle this circumstance, but would You come into my heart Would you show me the things that I can change within myself so that I can embody your goodness and grace? You see, we can't envision what God will do next, but we can surrender to what He invites us to right now. The Holy Spirit living within us. The Holy Spirit guiding our thoughts. Helping us to remember what God has done in the past. The Holy Spirit bringing healing, hope, and renewal. The Holy Spirit bringing us closer to one another. That's what God can do right now. And as we commit ourselves to Jesus, we discover a bigger vision of what God can do when we walk through times of uncertainty. As we lean into one another, as we lean into Scripture and the Holy Spirit to expand our vision and renew our hope from within. And as we commit to Christ, together, we will be amazed by what He does. Now, you may not believe this. It may sound like an idle tale, right? It may sound like, well, uh, you said you're not going to give us a simple answer, and now you are giving us a simple answer. But look at our church. Look at our church during the pandemic. This is one that's really in the forefront of my mind. Maybe there's a different time period that you can think of. How much excitement, transformation, and healing, togetherness, renewed hope have we experienced just from a handful of small groups? Just from 5% of our congregation being a part of those small groups, we have experienced renewal, have we not? It's been incredible. Without those kinds of small groups, I'm not so sure I would want to stay in the game of pastor because this is the time where we experience the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you experience that on Sunday worship, and if you do, that's wonderful. But it doesn't necessarily renew our hope. It doesn't lead to an experience of God's presence. We experience God's presence with one another. As we discern what is God up to here? And as we remind each other what God has done in the past. And as we allow the Holy Spirit to expand our vision of what is possible. How much will God work in your heart through your continued pursuit of Christ? That's what I wonder. That's my question to you today. If this is true that we can't change any outward action or any outward circumstance that we find ourselves in, we can't get any certain group of people to come to church more often, we can't change any big picture things, but what we can change is our internal response to whatever it is that we're going through, right? So, Clearly, a, a Christian pastor, you would expect to say, <laughs> one thing that you can do is uh, commit to your spiritual disciplines. 
or commit to being here in worship or commit to being in small group. One of the problems with all these things is that we expect it to produce immediate fruit. For example, if I go to the rec center, I can see that, uh, which I do go to the rec center, I can see that if I lift, commit to lifting weights, in two weeks I'll be stronger than I am right now. And I'll perpetually, hopefully, get better, at least with the right training and, and inputs. But in spiritual disciplines, it doesn't necessarily work like that. Right? You can read the Bible, you can pray, you can come to church, but you don't necessarily experience the fruit that you're looking for. Like the peace that... Oh, in here? Okay. Okay. I'll have to switch it around. So we get discouraged, right? We say, well, nothing's happening. So I'm not going to commit in the same way to reading my Bible every day because I'm not really experiencing anything different that's helping me to get through this darkness of time. So I wanted to show you this graph. This concept comes out of the book called Atomic Habits. It's not a Christian book, but it's by James Clear. And this was a powerful game changer kind of insight to me. Here's fruit. He would say like results. But I say it's fruit, like spiritual fruit. Fruits of the Holy Spirit. And here's time. So what we expect will happen is like this. Just an incremental, like I put in the time, I get the spiritual fruit. I read the Bible, I feel, I feel peace. My problems go away. Maybe as an even more simple expectation of that. But in reality, this phenomenon is more like what they say in the stock market. They say if you uh, start investing when you're 18 or whatever, you, you have to invest far less to get exponential result. So this is reality. Is that you start out here at the same place and it feels like nothing is happening and then all of a sudden, exponential increase. Where all of a sudden, you've been doing all these things in habit, your reflex to things that go... Sorry, Kathy, go on this side. Your reflex of things when, when it's not going your way is not to go, eat, go out to eat so that you feel better, not to turn on the TV so you can numb your mind, not to go onto Facebook and endless scroll or vent your frustrations. Your reflex is to turn to Jesus and say, Lord, help me through this time. Your reflex is to say, help me to see Larry as a child of God. Not as the person who's frustrating me right now. You're not frustrating me, Larry, but I'm just <laughs> using it as an example. Your reflex in the morning is to not think of all the things that aren't going to go your way, but to say, what does God say about me? What does God say about my life? And you open the Bible and let those words soak into the narrative that's playing in your mind. Those are just three examples. Your reflex when something terrible happens in your life is not to hide from the church, but to come into the church and let people surround you. To cry in front of other people. To say, I'm hurting and I'm broken, but I know that God hasn't forsaken me because these people are proving it to me. This is the kind of result that we get. But it may not come until your 90s. It may not come, it's been for me, uh, I'll have to go five or six months of committing to trusting the Lord in a new way. Not in old ways, in a new way. And allowing the Holy Spirit to change me. 
And slowly my outward circumstances begin to change. God didn't change the people in my life. God didn't take away a problem. God changed me, my heart. And the same is true for any of us. That as we surrender to the Holy Spirit in the day-to-day, moment-by-moment times in our life, God gives us a bigger vision of what is possible. He is the redeeming Messiah. He sets us free from within. And it, tri- it, it reverberates outward. So now if I'm a person that's been changed by the Holy Spirit and I embody hope, peace, love, and joy, well now I might compel Louise to come and join me. But if I would have said, Louise, you need to change. Never would happen, right Louise? You'd probably walk away from me. <laughs> But that's somehow what we hope will happen, that God will somehow change all these circumstances around us or other people. Change them. How many times have we prayed that? I've prayed that as well. Change them. Change this situation. When really our prayer should be, change me, God. Help me to be both tender and fierce. To embody Your love, but also be willing to speak truth. To be an agent of change. That's the power of our redeeming Messiah. And this is the power of your choices moment by moment. There's also another graph that shows a deformation of habits. So when instead we choose to numb ourselves in whatever way, rather than lean into God, we actually are are deformed from Christ-like character. Because we instead learn other ways of, of dealing with our stress rather than surrendering them to God. So what's going to happen now? (laughs) I don't know. Couldn't tell you. But I know with certainty that if we as a church choose to walk together, to continue to make small group, growing together in faith, not just hanging out together, but growing together in faith, opening ourselves to the Holy Spirit, if we choose to walk together and experience God's grace, we will be freed from the bondage of a limited perspective of God's power. Guaranteed. How many times have I said this? Larry, you've been here for every, every one, I think. If you and I decide that we're going to follow Jesus, that we're going to open our hearts to the Scriptures, that we're going to pray together, that we're going to try and serve out of what we learn, if you and I commit to that, then it doesn't matter if anyone else in this room joins us. We're going to grow closer to one another and we're going to experience the grace of God. We can't control anything else that's happening, but that's the power of the Holy Spirit working within our hearts as we open ourselves to Him. I want to close with this. uh, I couldn't really find a good way to fit it in, but this is a powerful song by the band uh, Hillsong Worship. I think it encapsulates this in just the chorus. The song says, That's the power of your name. Just a mention makes a way. Giants fall and strongholds break and there is healing. That's the power that I claim. It's the same that rolled the grave. There's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. Friends, my prayer going forward is that we would discover a bigger vision of God's power as we walk together, that we could focus on our individual choices so that we could experience renewed hope 
joy, healing, and transformation as we follow Christ together. Amen. So let's just uh, take 30 seconds uh, to pray, to reflect, and then after that we'll sing our next hymn. Jesus, oftentimes we, um, we feel disappointed by your lack of action in our lives, by circumstances that don't change and people that don't seem to change or things that are, are very uh, scary to us, Lord. And while those, uh, while those realities remain and our, our fears, our anxieties, our stresses are completely valid, would you give us a renewed perspective of what it means to trust you and, and to surrender to you? To know that um, nobody can ever stop us from surrendering our hearts to you. That no one could uh, keep us from opening ourselves to you. So Lord, help us to see with clarity that we can do exactly that. We can follow you individually and together. And that through our commitment to you, we will experience uh, transformational healing. As we pray this in your name. Amen. Let's